I'm wondering if or how many of us would testify to the fact that uh, at some point in your life, in the past, you have faced an impossible situation. And you looked at that situation and you said, it's impossible. There is no way out of this. And then you look back a little while later, and by God's grace and His power and His strength, you have crossed that river of impossibility. And then you look back and you say, God did it. How many of you remember that exam that you thought you'll never pass? Or that loss that you thought you could never get over? Or that illness that you thought you'll never be able to overcome? Or that betrayal from which you thought you will never be able to recover? Or that deep anguish that you thought it's going to undo you? Or that family crisis that you thought is going to crush you and crush everything that is near and dear to you? Or the swirling water of the river of false criticism and false accusations that you thought they were about to drown you and destroy you, but then God came into your life and supernaturally got you across the swelling waters. The rivers of impossibilities in our lives can do one of two things. They can either destroy us or they can strengthen us. Some people, of course, break under the strain. But then there are others who would say, This is God's opportunity to manifest His power in my life. Some people drown in these rivers of impossibilities, but others see them as means by which they can swim upstream. Some people cave to these rivers of impossibilities, but then others say, what a great opportunity for me to witness to the power of God working in my life. What a great opportunity to tell my co-workers and my neighbors and my friends and my schoolmates about the power of God working in me. It is often said that the difference between a live wire and a dead one is the connection. And those who see the rivers of impossibilities as God's opportunity to do great and mighty things are the very people whom God is pleased to use mightily in in their lives. But there's something else I want to tell you about these rivers of impossibilities, that they often are used by Satan as an opportunity to silence us, to silence our witness, silence us from testifying to the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the power of God that is working in our life. Satan can use these rivers of impossibilities to turn us inward instead of anticipating the power of God that is going to work in us. God wants you to cross these rivers so that you can testify to everyone who would listen to the power of God, to your fellow students, and to the co-workers about the work of God in your life. Now, there are three very important things that you're going to notice here in the book of Joshua, chapter 3. Please turn to it in your Bible and follow with me. Three things that you must understand and three principles that you must follow. First, you see there is a commissioning, verses 1 to 4. 
Secondly, there is the consecration, verses 5 to 13. And thirdly, there is the completion, verses 14 to 17. As soon as Joshua heard from those two guys who went behind enemy's camp into the enemy's territory, as soon as he heard that the people are terrified, he immediately commissioned the people to cross over into the river of impossibility. And the reason I'm calling it the river of impossibility is this, is the time in which God chose to let His people cross over. You see, this was the month of Nisan, that is March-April period of time. For if it was any other time, the cynics would have said, oh, well, they could have just swum across. (laughs) But at this time of the year, it was the time when all the snow was melting over on top of Mount Hermon. And the river is the most treacherous of all 12 months of the year. This was the most difficult time to even dream of crossing the River Jordan. Because not only it is treacherous, but the current would move so fast that it would sweep anybody who would attempt to cross it at that period of time. And people avoided going anywhere near the river at that time. And I can only imagine some of these folks looking at this river of impossibility. And they would say, you want us to do what? (laughs) Are you crazy? Why couldn't you wait till summer? Why couldn't we not wait for some other time? Why couldn't we just wait for a time when the circumstances are easier? Oh, beloved, listen to me. When you are facing your river of impossibility, your biggest temptation is to forget your commissioning by God to be His missionary in your workplace. God's commissioning of you to be His apostle in your school. God's commissioning of you to be His minister in your neighborhood and with your environment, wherever you may be. You are tempted to say, man, I've got my fair share of problems. This is not a very good time. I can't witness for God right now. This is not a good time right now. The circumstances are not convenient right now. The circumstances are not conducive right now. I need to wait for a little bit. Which actually reminds me of a guy, a Christian man who was under conviction to witness. And every time God brings him under conviction, he would say, Lord, is this really the opportune time? Is this really the right person? Am I really obeying your will? Is this really in your perfect will for me to witness? And God will bring him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And he would say, God, is this really the time? And so one day he got on a bus. When he got on the bus, a bus was empty. Nobody on the bus except him. So he goes all the way in the back of the bus, and he sits there by himself. In the next station, big, burly man comes in. And of all the empty seats in the bus, he goes all the way there, and he sits next to our friend. And he said to him, Please tell me how to be saved. I want to know about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. And the man looks out the window and says, Lord, is this really the opportune time? (laughs) But listen to me. 
You know, God anticipated the Israelites' fear. He anticipated their doubt. He anticipated their dread. He anticipated all of that as just as He anticipates your fear and your doubt and your dread. And so, He commands Joshua to send the priests first with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. Now, remember, God commanded Moses to get that box And in it, there is the Ten Commandments. In it, there is the jar full of the manna to remind them of God's provision. In it, there was a staff that parted the Red Sea. But above all, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God amidst of His people. Above all, it reminded every time they had the covenant, they had victory. This Ark represented the presence of God. And as if God is saying to them, listen to me, as if God is saying to them, look, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to prepare the way for you. I'm going to show you what my presence means and want to show you my presence is all about. I'm going to guide your way. I'm going to lead your way. What a great God we have. What a great God we have. He knew that they were going to unfamiliar territories. He knew that they were going to unknown places. He knew that they were going to enemy-held territories. He knew that they did not know which direction to go. He knew that they were timid, and they were hesitant, and they were doubting. And so he said, I'm going way ahead of you, 3,000 feet to be exact, ahead of you. I know some of you have said to me, as I began the series of messages of challenging you to be an apostle at your workplace, some of you said, you know, the problem is we feel inadequate, we, we feel fearful, we feel apprehensive. Beloved, listen to me. What you need to know is this. Whenever you face a river of impossibility in your life, you must be able to hear the voice of God saying to you, Don't be afraid because I'm going ahead of you. Don't be terrified for I will make a way for you. Don't fret for I will be way in front of you. Be strong, be courageous, just follow me. First there was the commissioning. Then there's the consecration. Verses 5 to 13 of Joshua chapter 3. When the day of the crossing of the river came, that river of impossibility... Joshua did not say, now boys, now I want you to start sharpening your sword or your spears. He did not say that. Now boys, I want you to start polishing your shields. You've got to be ready for the battle. He did not say, now boys, I want you to gear yourself up for battle as they used to. He said, he never said, now How many of you can swim? (laughs) No, no, no. He said, consecrate yourself. Why? Oh, listen to me. The battle that is a spiritual battle requires God's supernatural power. It is a battle that is in the human impossibility. And in order to receive victory in the spiritual battle... To receive victory, crossing the river of your impossibility, 
What is required is not strategy. What is required is not techniques. What is required is not clever thinking. What is required is not 10-year study plan. What is required is not outfoxing your opponent or outfoxing your enemies. No, no, no. He said, for spiritual victory over the rivers of impossibilities, what is required is consecration. What is required is surrendering to the will of God in your life. What is required is being set aside for God. What is required is walking blameless before God. What is required is the anticipation of what God is going to do or can do for you. It is required not half-hearted commitment. Often the rivers of impossibilities in your life and in mine are God's opportunity for each of us for Him to act on our behalf. But they're also supposed to bring us closer walk with God. They are supposed to bring us to a closer examination of ourselves and our lives. They are supposed to bring us to the point of giving up sins that we have rationalized long time ago. They are supposed to bring us to the point of trusting God completely with all that He has entrusted us. They're supposed to bring us to the point of removing these idols and these strongholds that long ago have established beachhead in your life and in mine. I want to ask you a challenge for you today, for each one of us. If you have been ineffective for God in your life, if you have been spinning your wheels in your school, if you're going through the motions of being a Christian and going to this meeting and that meeting and this gathering and that gathering, if you have ever never been able to lead someone to Christ, listen to me. Ask yourself this question. Am I consecrated to God? Have I given up idols in my life? Have I surrendered to the will of God in my life? And when you start doing that, watch out. Please watch out, because God is about to use you. You're about to become dangerous for Satan. You're about to deal Satan and his kingdom a blow. Watch out. God is about to use you. There is the commissioning. There is the consecration. But then in verses 14 to 17, there's a completion. There's a completion of the task. I can't even imagine. And you can see that as I sit there alone with God in preparation, reading the Scripture, and, and desiring to take it all into my life and to my heart, and, and I sometimes try to use my imagination, and I try to imagine these poor priests carrying that ark on their shoulder and they're walking down the River Jordan. And, and, and it's not stopping. I mean, with this water still going. And they go in. And they, they get closer and closer and closer to the water. <laughs> water still hasn't stopped. I just wonder what went through their mind. <laughs> Did we hear Joshua right? Did Joshua hear God right? <laughs> I mean, what's going on here? Nothing is happening. We're so close. Our feet are wet. And they get their feet wet, and they're getting closer and closer, and they're terrified. You know, it's funny. The, God sent the priests first in this case. Later on in the history of Israel, the priests wised up. And in the future battles, you know who they send first? 
the singers. <laughs> they said, send the singers first. <laughs> I just can't imagine them carrying this ark. It must have been one of the greatest tests of faith. I know how I would have reacted. And you know how you would have reacted too. Taking one step and then one back. Two forward, two back. <laughs> listen to me, beloved, listen to me. You know what most Christians do with the promises of God in the Bible? They underline them. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Isn't that sweet? They underline them in their Bibles. They may even color code them. <laughs> but listen to me. What kind of faith is that? What kind of faith that all you do is you name it and then you claim it? <laughs> what kind of faith is that? Real faith is acting on the promises of God. God promises and said, Bring the tithe to the storehouse and test me. Christians underline it in their Bible. Isn't that sweet? That's nice of God. Oh, you know what? When my ship comes to port, I'll be able to give God. Let me ask you this. If you've never sent any ships out, how are you expecting some ships to come back? <laughs> God promised to be with you when you speak a word on His behalf, when you testify to the forgiveness of your sins, when you testify to the fact that you have received eternal life because you're coming to Christ. And you know what believers do? They just underline them. I mean, this is just another sweet promise of God. Isn't that wonderful? How good God is. <laughs> and they keep their mouth shut. They never risk and I'm not talking about wild risk. And they say, oh, I just don't have the gift of witnessing. There's no such thing in the Bible. There's no such a thing as a gift of witnessing. God calls every single believer to be a witness. If your sins are forgiven, you are a witness. Then I witness account of what happened. And if God forgave your sins, you're supposed to tell about that. You've received eternal life from His hand. You're supposed to tell about that. That's all you're supposed to do. That's what an eyewitness does. Faith is not taking wild risks. No, 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 no. That's not the biblical faith. Faith is taking a risk that is firmly anchored and deeply established in the solid rock reliability of what God had promised. That's what faith is all about. Even if you hesitate, God understands. Even if you hesitate... God is willing to strengthen you. Even if you doubt, God is there to strengthen you. Even if you're timid, God is there to strengthen you. Listen to me. As long as you are willing to get your feet wet, as long as you are able to put one foot in front of the other, as long as you keep moving in the right direction, as long as you can look at the river of impossibility in your life and you say, I'm stepping over you in Jesus' name. I am going to the enemies in Jesus' name. I am going to cross this river in Jesus' name. Look at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 3 of Joshua. Those two verses are enough to make you shout. 
Now the Jordan is at a flood stage during the harvest. By the way, they harvest in the spring in the Middle East, not in the fall like you do here. Now the Jordan is at a flood stage during the harvest. You see, God doesn't need any help. Yet as soon as the priests (laughs) who were carrying the ark reached the Jordan (laughs) and their feet touched the water, their feet got wet. They didn't stay from a distance and said, okay, it's a miracle, now we can go. We saw it. We believe it. Now we can do it. No, no, no. No, Their feet got wet. Look at the verse. As soon as their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away so the people crossed over. Can I get a witness? You see, some cynics through the years have said that there were occasions in which the River Jordan dried up. For example, they point out to an earthquake that took place on December 8th, the year 1267, in which the River Jordan turned into mud for about 10 hours. Oh, I said, but listen, this was December. This was December. Then they point out to the fact that in July 11, 1927, there was another earthquake, and the Jordan dried up for 21 hours. You see, they will say, see, it happens before. It happened again. Oh, but this was July. This was not March, April, when all the water was flowing. It's called flood time. It's called impossible and impassable. It's called supernatural. There's something else that crossing the River Jordan, the river of impossibility, is going to do to you. Listen to me carefully. When you cross over the river of impossibility in your life, and your river of impossibility may be different from my river of impossibility. When you cross that river of impossibility, it means there is no going back. There's no going back. There's no going back to the life of faithlessness. There is no going back to being silent about your salvation. There is no going back about into the spiritual wilderness. There is no going back to mediocrity. There is no going back to fear and timidity. There is no going back to ignoring those who are desperately want to hear the gospel message. And you are silent about it. My friend, God is calling you to cross the river of impossibility, whatever it may be in your life. Because God intended to go ahead of you. And the reason for that is because God wants you to testify to His power in your life. God wants you to speak of Him. God wants you to love others on His behalf. God wants you to declare His mighty power. And that is why in chapter 4, God told Joshua to set up these memorial stones. Why? They're the act of witness. They're the act of testifying to the power of God. Generation after generation are going to come, and those stones will be testifying to the power of Yahweh who dried up the River Jordan in the months of Nisan when it was flood time. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.